This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, as Alnaldo has already mentioned, this morning is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're going to be looking at the ministry of the Spirit in its connection with ch- in his connection with church planting. Uh, This is a really historic moment for our church. We've called this Sunday Kingdom Come, and a big part of what we want to see happen through these Sundays is seeing uh, the Lord's prayer lived in the life of our church, that God's kingdom would come in Sydney as it is in heaven. Today is the first day where we gather together as one uh, big, giant movement, and uh, I hesitate to use the word movement because two churches is probably not just a movement yet. But we want to use the language prophetically about what we see in the future of a a number of churches. We pray one day that we will get to send James and Katie and James and Callan to plant new churches as well. So we've called this Sunday Kingdom Come, and it happens to coincide on Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 together. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 2? We're going to be focusing in on the first 13 verses uh, a big thank you to Alnado who stepped in last minute to preach for me last Sunday. I was very sick uh, and still am struggling, so I'm hoping my voice will hold up. If you know uh, me, anytime I get sick, my voice just completely disappears. So we'll see how we go throughout this message. I remember a number of years ago watching a uh, very short, you know, there's like little three-minute uh, sermon snippets that get posted. I remember watching this, uh, this little snippet of the, uh, a Verge conference in the US, and the preacher was David Platt, and he posed a question that kind of, um, it's just really stuck with me and haunted me to this day. And I still think about the question that he asked this conference. And his question was this. It's on the screen behind me. What if the greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel today is? Now, how do you think most of us would finish that sentence? The greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel today is the rampant rise of secularism in our city, is the decay of the Judeo-Christian biblical sex ethic, is the um, divide between left and right in politics, is the fact that churches are all using the wrong fonts on their social media. Like, How would you finish that sentence? The greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel today is, and this is what David Platt proposes, The attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. What if the greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God? That question has haunted me. Because I actually think it's pretty easy to plant churches on a number of really human, fleshly-based strategies. All you need is a good preaching, a great worship band, a killer kids' ministry, and a good venue to meet in that's safe. We're probably not ticking that box all that much, especially for our kids. And, and pretty much you can use all of these earthly measures to gather a crowd. We're not the only people that gather crowds, right? the church, that is. What does it look like for us to do that in the power of the Spirit? Let me pose this impossible hypothetical question for you. What what difference would it make in your life 
or in our church if God were to withdraw his Holy Spirit from us? Now, I say that's, a, that's an impossible hypothetical because we've just read in Ephesians chapter 1, have we not, a few weeks ago, that the Spirit is the deposit, the seal, a guarantee of our inheritance to come. Right? We, don't, we never pray a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That, that is not a thing we need to fear as new covenant Spirit-sealed believers. But, but just thought process with me for a sec. What difference would it make in our life in our church if God were to withdraw the Holy Spirit from us? And if our answer is not all that much, then chances are we're not doing the work of God powered by the Spirit of God. And what I want us to see this morning as we walk through chapter 2 of Acts, that the Spirit of God is indispensable to the outworking of the mission of God. That as we walk our way through the book of Acts, you see the Spirit empowering and leading disciple-making and church-planting movements throughout the world. And it's an incredible story. Pentecost is the the event that Acts chapter 2 is focused on. Pentecost literally means 50th. And as Arnaldo mentioned, it's 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after Easter for us. And it was coincided with the festival of the harvest, the time where the people would bring their first fruits and offer them to God as as a celebration and declaration of God's provision, his abundance and what would come. And the events that take place in Acts chapter 2 happen in that context. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible there, open up. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't, the verses will be on the screen behind me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that is all the disciples, 120 disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Crescens and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the moment in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples had been waiting for. Jesus had instructed them to wait, to wait until they were clothed with power from on high. And this moment happens and it's unmistakable that this is the moment that Jesus had told them would happen as God comes because it is accompanied by three sensory signs that occur in this passage. 
a sign of sound, a sign of sight, and a sign of speech. That's almost a tongue twister. Sight, sound, and speech. And this is unmistakable that God is showing up here. The sound is like a mighty rushing wind. It's not a wind. It just sounds like one, perhaps sounded like a tornado. And it's so loud. It's so publicly loud that the multitude of people that were probably gathered around the temple, around the city, near this house where they were meeting, were drawn in to inquire of what this giant radical sound was. It was like a wind, a tornado had blown through. There was a sight that occurred. It says there that tongues as of fire, not literal fire, but tongues that looked like fire or had the form of fire came and rested upon each of them. Now, what is happening in this moment? And these crazy things that are occurring here as the 120 disciples are there hanging out together. What is going on and what is clear is that God has shown up. You see, wind and fire are two symbols and signs that are very often connected with the presence of God. If you think about uh, the, cast your mind back to Exodus, right? Moses encounters the presence of God in what? Fuego, yeah. A, a burning bush, right? A fire. God guides his people throughout the wilderness experience in the book of Exodus by what? A pillar of fire. Right? Fire is very much connected with the presence of God. Or Jesus in John chapter 3, he says that the Spirit of God is like a wind. It blows wherever it pleases. You cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Like a wind. Wind and fire are very often connected with the tangible, manifest presence of God. And here we see God present in a palpable way. I don't know if you realize this, but um, natural gas, the gas that if you have gas stovetop in your house or gas heating, the natural gas that fires that has no odor. And so they, they add an odor to it so that if someone so happens to leave the oven on or leave the heater on, you can detect that gas is there. Otherwise, it's very dangerous, right? You potentially you know, turn the oven on, your house is full of gas, there's a giant explosion. They add odor as a way of detecting something that is invisible. And here, God gives these signs of sound and of sight as a way of saying, I am present, the invisible God that you cannot see with your eyes, here are some manifestations to demonstrate to you that I am present, that God has arrived. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the very thing that the disciples were told to wait for. You've got to pause there and ask yourself a question. Why were they told to wait? Here are 12 men who probably had the best equipping you could ever hope to be equipped for, for ministry, right? They spent three years doing MTS with Jesus. It was a three-year ministry apprenticeship, hearing the teachings of Jesus, following the best rabbi ever. If anyone was equipped for ministry, it would be the 12 disciples. And yet Jesus says to them, you are to wait. Wait for what? Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. The Spirit of God is essential to the outworking of the mission of God. 
We see the very same thing in the ministry of Jesus. Cast your mind back to John chapter 3, where Jesus goes to his cousin John to be baptized in the Jordan River. He is baptized as he comes out of the water. The Spirit of God descends on him in the form of a dove. The voice of the Father comes from heaven. He is anointed for ministry, and then he immediately walks out into the wilderness, is tested by the devil, and then begins a three-year preaching, teaching, healing ministry, eventually culminating in the cross. But it began with being filled with the power of the Spirit. This is the pattern for the Great Commission to go out. This is the pattern we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the third sign that is accompanied with this Pentecost moment is probably the more controversial one, and that is that the sign of speech. That all of these people gathered together, probably 120 disciples plus the 12, spoke in tongues They spoke in tongues. They spoke in other languages. And this is probably different from the tongues we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14 because these tongues were known languages. We know that we're known languages because all of the people that came to Jerusalem for the festival, for the feast, they'd come from all around Jerusalem, people who are natives of other countries, whose mother tongues were not Hebrew, who were not Galileans like the disciples were. They all gathered together. Some scholars say that the population of Jerusalem may have swelled five to six times its ordinary population at the time of Pentecost. There are people all over, and they come, and what do they hear? They hear the praises of God declared in their mother tongue. Now, I don't know if you notice, there's a little thing there in verse 7 that, um, that we, we probably don't pick up in the English, but what amazes the crowd is that these men are Galileans. You think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Galileans had a reputation for being uneducated and spoke in a way where they had difficulty pronouncing some of the deep gutturals that were associated with Hebrew. I guess it would be the equivalent of saying they were kind of bogans or rednecks or East Londoners. I don't know what what the cultural equivalent is across the globe, right? They were bogans. They spoke with a funny accent. And you imagine... A dead set, dinky die, bogan Aussie, just like Scotty Buchanan. And I'm sorry, Scotty, if you're watching this. But just like Scotty, you know, who then all of a sudden is speaking fluent French. And not like, oh, parlez-vous français. But it's like, parlez-vous français. You know, it's like just this immaculate, eloquent speech. The miracle that occurs here in Acts chapter 2 is that Here are men and women who are speaking fluently, perfectly, languages that they have not been educated in, that they have not known. And people from all around hear the praises of God in their mother tongue. I remember hearing a story a number of years ago of a friend of ours, Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt, who's pastor of our Doxa Church in Seattle. And he was telling a story of a time he was preaching, preaching cross-culturally with a translator. And as he was preaching, if you've ever seen translated preaching, it, it's, quite, um, it's quite stagnant. It's like stop, start, you say a line, the, the translator says a line. And Jeff's speaking, and all of a sudden the translator stops speaking. And Jeff keeps talking, and then he turns to the translator and says, why have you stopped? And he says, you're speaking the language. Everyone can understand the incredible miracle of being able to speak a language that he had not learned. That is the miracle that occurs here in Acts chapter 2. 
the miracle of the gift of tongues. Now, we don't have time to unpack the full theology of tongues, but suffice to say, here at Anchor Church, we believe that that gift is available for the church today. And we can debate about that later if you want to. But what is happening here in this moment? Because there is more than just evidence of the presence of God, right, by these three signs. There is something significant that's happening here in Acts chapter 2. And I want to point out a few really significant things here. The first is that Acts chapter 2 is a reversal of Babel. Everyone remember the story of Babel? Uh, Genesis chapter 11, the people gather together. They try and build a tower to reach their way up to the heavens. And heaven comes down and confuses their language and destroys their plans. Acts chapter 2 completely inverts that event. Heaven comes down and instead of confusing language, it untangles it. And the gift of tongues is given. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, is the reversal of Babel. And the purpose of these tongues here and throughout the book of Acts is to give a sign that the kingdom of God is going out. This is no longer the kingdom of man trying to be established and built up. This is the kingdom of God going out to the nations. It's the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And right here, At the Feast of the Harvest, at Pentecost, we have a little microcosm of the vision of God for the global mission of the church. Because here are people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation all hearing the praises of God declared in their native language. Some of whom, later on in Acts chapter 2, will fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, give their lives to Jesus, be baptized, and go home with the message of the good news of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in their hearts to take that message to their nation. Acts chapter 2 is a little microcosm of the mission of God playing out, that the nations would be drawn in, and heaven comes down and untangles language so that the good news, the praises of God might be declared. The second thing that's happening here in this moment of Pentecost is as the Spirit of God is poured out onto people, onto God's people, right? We see here that uh, Luke mentions that they were all together and that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? There were 120 plus the 12 gathered together in a room. It wasn't just the 12 that were filled. It was all of the men and women. They were all together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a moment where God is demonstrating that his community, that his Jesus followers, his apprentices, his disciples would be the church, would be his temple, his presence on earth. You remember back to Acts chapter 2 where Arnaldo preached for us a few weeks ago or three weeks ago if you were at Southwest. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 21, we You, and that's the plural you, remember that's y'all or yous, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is God's endorsement that this Jesus community is now the place where he will be present by his spirit. The spirit-filled community of Jesus is God's plan A for the world. Us, we are God's plan A for the world. 
And by us, I don't just mean Anchor Church. I mean every church that preaches Jesus and is filled with the Spirit. We are God's plan for the unfolding of His purposes in the world. We are the people who would bring His shalom and His peace. We are the people who would declare good news. We are the people of justice and reconciliation and healing, the agents. We are a foretaste of what the future will look like and God's instruments now in the present of His purposes in the world. And it's not up to us because we've been clothed with power from on high to fulfill His mission. Let me just give you a quick broad sweep of what happens throughout the book of Acts as the Spirit of God does the work of God through the church of God. In Acts chapter 4, Peter stands with the other disciples before the Sanhedrin, the very men that killed Jesus, and he boldly declares in chapter 4 verse 8 that there is one mediator between people and God, and it's the man, Jesus Christ. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit for that declaration. A little bit later on, the church is praying in chapter 4, 31. After they pray that they would be filled with boldness, the Spirit falls upon the entire church. The foundations of the room that they are meeting is shaken, and that filling casts them out to boldly declare the good news of Jesus. Acts chapter 6, Stephen, the first martyr, is filled with the Holy Spirit and is able to declare to the religious leaders the whole story of God. The Holy Spirit sends Philip as his agent of redemption, as he sends him to the finance minister of Ethiopia in the chariot to preach to him the good news and to baptize him in chapter 7 or 8, I think it is. He is involved in the healing, the conversion, and the calling of the apostle Paul, who was Saul. He changed him, filled him, and sent him as apostle to the Gentiles. He sends Peter via a dream to the Gentiles, the first converted Gentile Cornelius and his house. And then in chapter that happens in chapter 10, chapter 11, Peter says it was the Spirit who sent me to do that. It's the Holy Spirit who sends Paul and Barnabas from the church in Antioch as they're praying, fasting, and worshiping. He says, set apart for me these brothers to be sent on the mission. And they begin the first missionary journey to the Gentiles, a, a, a journey of making disciples and planting churches. It's the Holy Spirit who guides the decision-making process of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. It's the Holy Spirit who prevents the mission team, Paul and his posse, from entering and doing mission and church planting in Asia and Bithynia. It's the Holy Spirit who prompts Agabus the prophet to warn the apostle Paul of what lies ahead of him and to warn the people of a famine that's coming. It's the Holy Spirit who is guiding Paul's decision-making. In Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Paul says he resolved in the Spirit. In chapter 20, verse 22, he said he is constrained by the Spirit. In chapter 20, verse 23, he says that the Spirit warns him of persecution. Almost every single page of the book of Acts, the Spirit of God is at work doing the work of God through the church of God guiding, empowering, calling, sending, instructing. Some have therefore concluded that the Holy Spirit is the best church planter. That's true. This is not Paul's mission. It's not Peter's mission. This is God's mission, the Missio Dei, the mission of God. That's therefore the Spirit of God that leads and guides and directs and calls and empowers and establishes the work of God through His church. You know, here at Anchor, we have a very bold and expansive vision. A vision for seeing churches planted. 
It's ambitious. But I just want to let you know we have zero desire to do that in the power of the flesh. We don't just want to build churches, plant churches, expand a brand. And what we want to do is to see the kingdom of God in Sydney as it is in heaven. We want to see God's kingdom come. That is only possible as the Spirit empowers us and sends us out. If you realize this, but um, from 1991 to 2011, the Australian population grew by 5 million people. And yet in that same period of time, the net sum of churches declined by 1,100. 5 million increase in population, 1,100 fewer churches over a 20-year period. I would hate to see what the next 20 years look like. We also know that, by and large, in our city, best estimates, 8% of our population attends a church that loves and preaches Jesus and is filled with the Spirit like we've seen here. 8%. That means we're pushing 5 million people in this city who do not worship Jesus as he deserves. We also know that the church predominantly is over the age of 50 that there is a missing generation from most churches, and praise God, not from this one, but from most churches. There is a missing demographic, and it's our demographic. Do you know what? We cannot possibly hope to turn back the dials on those statistics ourselves, on our own strength, with our own strategies. Me, Dawson, Brad, and Alnado scheming together at Rising Sun in Newtown. We can't do it. But we do believe that we worship a God who has done an incredible work by the power of His Spirit through His people. We also know that there are other incredible churches in our city who are doing the same work that we are doing. And we want to partner with them and with God in bringing the kingdom to come. I want to say that this type of um, filling of the Spirit is not just for James Dawson and James Wong, our church planting residents, this is for all of us. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We all have a part to play. We are all called to do the work of God in our nine to five, in a myriad of different ways, empowered and animated by the Spirit to see His kingdom come in Sydney. What does it look like for us to live to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, a church that is distinct and holy, living kingdom lives. Well, I just want to close by offering us three quick things of what it means to be a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-anointed, whatever language you want to use, church. The first is this, that if we are to be a spirit-filled church, spirit-filled people, it means that we are listening to and led by the Spirit. It's unmistakable as you walk through the book of Acts, the Spirit is guiding the affairs of the apostles. Sometimes audibly, sometimes through a dream, sometimes they will say, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who directs the affairs of the apostles and the church. That is true for us. This is not a period of time that was reserved for the 12 disciples. It's not like God turned up and this mighty wind blew through the house at Pentecost and then, oh, man, he ran out of breath. He had no more wind to blow. No, no, no. We worship the same God with the same spirit and the same power. 
And we ought to be people who would listen to and be led by the Spirit of God. A, a church, people who are sensitive to the Spirit's promptings in our life. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. You've got to quote Dallas Willard these days. This is what he says. Perhaps we don't hear the voice of God because we don't expect to hear it. But perhaps we don't hear it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives our own way and never seriously consider anything else. Truth be told, the voice of God would be an unwelcome intrusion into our plans. By contrast, we expect the great ones in the way of Christ to hear that voice because we see their lives wholly given up to doing what God wants. A community of people who are saturated in the Word of God, who are on their knees in prayerful dependence, and who are expectantly listening to what God wants them to do. What would it look like for you to just do something as simple as that? Listen to God and then do what He says. The Spirit-empowered church is the church that is hearing from God and doing what He says. Secondly, secondly, we are a contrast community. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because He purifies us. He makes us more like Christ. We are a countercultural contrast community. We live distinctly different lives in this world. And we ought to be people, communities, a gathering like this, a, a gospel community midweek, a, a relationship, friendships, whatever it looks like, where people would come and see and say, yes, God is present here. I can tell. This is not an ordinary gathering of people in a social group. This is a people where God is present. We're a distinctly different community from those around us. That is seen by our love, by our actions, by our words. Sometimes it is seen in God's supernatural providence, breaking through and doing miracles in our community. But for the most time, it's ordinary. It's our love, our words, our works. The third thing that a spirit-filled church is, is that we boldly speak the good news. We are ambassadors of Christ. What you cannot get past as you flick your way through the book of Acts is that the Spirit, the power of the Spirit is poured out often, not exclusively, but often in moments of persecution where the person is required to bear witness. And it says that God filled that person with the Spirit and they declared the good news. The Spirit-filled church is the church that is boldly speaking of Jesus boldly telling of what God has done in our lives and in our church. Remember a number of years ago, I was working at a church in the western suburbs of Sydney and there was a, a very small evening service that was a part of our church. The main, main service happened at 10 a.m., Rudy Hill High School, but there was this like weird, funky, hippie, little 5 p.m. service. They, call, they called it Sunday at 5 and they made a purple felt sign for it. Um, and the story behind this weird, eclectic little church service that happened at 5 p.m. was a couple of people were given by a friend a copy of Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. It sat on their bookshelf for years until one day the guy picked it up, read it, 
The Spirit opened his eyes to see. He gave it to his partner. She read it. The Spirit opened her eyes to see. She gave it to her friend. The book went round this whole friendship group. These guys were metalheads, hippies, tattoo artists, and drug dealers. They started a Bible study in their house. One of the guys, Jim, who hadn't quite yet figured it out, would sit in Bible study, smoke pot, and just listen. He thought to himself, I will never become a Christian. I will never do what these guys are doing. And after a couple of months, God got a hold of him too. He gave his life to Jesus. He's now a Presbyterian minister. You'll never believe it. Jim, on his, social, on his Facebook page, Jim will be there doing like death metal solos on his like black electric guitar with flames on it. He's a Presbyterian minister. It's crazy. This little community of people, it was a church plan. It was a a little funky, alternative, weird little church plant that was birthed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there is a significant portion of that group of people who are now in paid vocational ministry, church planting, serving God all over the place. You know, the story of Acts chapter 2 is the story of our church, of Anchor Church. 17 people in our tiny little two-bedroom apartment. We're still there today in Erskineville praying, believing that God wanted to use us to do something in our city. You fast forward seven years and we are here, a community of, I don't even know anymore, 250, 60 plus people. Those of you who say, yes, this is my church and a significant number of others who are connected loosely to the fringes of our community. This is the evidence of the work of the power of the Spirit of God. And if we want to see this continue to happen, we have to be people who would be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God. We have a big vision for church planting. Lord willing, multiple churches coming from this movement, from this family. And we all have a part to play as we prayerfully Figure out what it looks like for us, for you, to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. We're going to transition to a moment of worship. And as we do that, I want to um, just give us a moment to pause. And I want to pray an ancient prayer that the church has been praying for generations on Pentecost, that the Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit would fill us, fill this church, fill our lives and empower us for what he has called us to do. So as I invite the band out, I invite you guys to stand. We're going to stand together, church. And invite you to just place your hands out if you're comfortable in front of you. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's okay. Perhaps even today, it might be the first time that you receive the Spirit. You want to give your life to Jesus. But for everyone else, if you want to open your hands in a posture of receiving We're going to pause for a moment. Let's pray the ancient prayer of the early church. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of light, come and guide us. Spirit of fire, come and purify. Thank you. 
spirit of truth. Give us words, true words. Spirit of unity, come, bind us together. But we want to surrender our churches and our lives to you. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit for the task that you've called us to tomorrow morning. In the years to come, as we plant churches, as we make disciples, God, we know that we need you. It's beyond us. And yet you choose to use us. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said in one loud voice, amen, amen, amen. amen. Bless you, Anchor Church.